Happy Friday, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Peace, Love, and Hot Sauce with Joel De Silva. Our very special guest is none other than Mr. Rockin' Jake. How you doing, Jake, today? Great, Joel. Cheers with the coffee, yes, brother. Yes, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for the coffee. Yeah. And for uh, inviting me to be as your inaugural guest. Are yeah. You, Thanks for coming, hot buddy. Sauce, which I love the name. I love peace. I love love. <laughs> and I love hot sauce. So let's get started here. Uh... Where did you grow up? Well, I think that's still a, still a process. We're still in the process. But uh, if you ask me where I was born and raised, was uh, a little town in Connecticut called New London, Connecticut, uh, southeastern Connecticut. That was came of age in New London uh, in, the, in as a child in the '60s, and then uh, matured a little bit in the '70s, and and uh, was really fortunate I mean I really consider myself fortunate that era of music both nationally and locally was just really amazing I'm so grateful to have come up in that era you know and uh, when I was a kid uh, my dad was uh, an an electrical engineer and he had like a he owned a music like a musical equipment store, and he fixed musical equipment, cool. installed equipment, and he eventually moved on to other things. But he was uh, also a ham radio operator, and he was really into gadgets and stuff like that. He gave me a uh, a shortwave radio, which was re- you know I could listen to radio stations from all over the world, and uh, I, w- I was I was fortunate to be able. To, I mean, AM radio back in the '60s, man, was awesome. And uh, I was able to listen to New York radio stations, WABC, WNBC, and uh, there was great music coming out. I, I heard one person put it this way: radio wasn't segregated back then. You could hear, uh, uh, you know, when you listen to the on AM radio, you could hear uh, rhythm and blues, soul music, rock and roll, pop music, all on the same station, and it wasn't segmented into little demographic groups, you know. Wow. So. Uh, was fortunate. Didn't hear much country growing up. Uh, I guess coming from Connecticut, there wasn't too much of that. But um, again, the the, the the soul that was coming, soul music that was coming out in the seventies, really hit me uh, hard. And, and uh, as did the pop music and, and and rock and roll. And then as I came up in the seventies, getting a little older in my teens, uh, I I really started getting interested in. Uh, a lot of the, the the rock music that was coming out. I mean, Black Sabbath, Rolling Stones, Beatles, and then as a little bit older, uh, Southern rock stuff really, really moved me. And uh, again, it was, it was just an amazing time because uh, there were bluegrass festivals all over the place. There was uh, blues festivals, uh, uh, and, and 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 the 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 rock music. For some reason, bands like the Almond Brothers or Johnny Winter or or uh, or uh, the Rolling Stones always had like a little bit of blues. And for some reason, like right, I said, sure. I, I grew up uh, a kid in 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 southeastern Connecticut. You know why this music moved me? I don't know, but for some reason, yeah. For some reason, every time they played a blues song, it just it knocked me out. Were your parents uh, influencing you on? Not, not really at all. I, I mean, not not really at all. Uh, my dad, he did give me one record that was 
I love that I still love to this day. It was Benny Goodman, Sextets. Wow. Sextets, Septets, and Octets. And it had, I really fell in love with that record and, and uh, the sound of Charlie Christian on guitar. Oh, yeah. He's he's the shit, man. He's absolutely. Great. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, my sisters were all about six, seven, between six and ten years older than me, and they had. Motown records, and I love that music too. And again, the, you know, again, coming up in the '60s, that was on the radio right. all the time, and I just, I just really loved it, you know. And uh, then, and, and also, radio was just really. And in a way, I feel bad for kids today because radio is not definitely not like what it was. But of course, any any music is available now, but. If you're coming up and your only access to music is AM radio or FM radio, you have to, you know, like today, you listen to what, what's in All right, back here with Rock and Jake. Radio, you're talking about radio. Yes, radio was, was very uh, influential to me. Uh, as I mentioned, the AM radio in the 60s. And then it's it funny, uh, late 60s, early 70s, if I stayed up late enough, they had DJs who would, were playing what they called back then underground music, you know, rock and roll that they didn't normally, you know, it was more pop stuff during the day, but uh, late, later enough at night. So I would listen to that. And then in the 70s, man, FM radio was out of sight, out of sight. I mean, not like today. Oh my God! Well, back then DJs would program their own shows. DJs knew music. They DJs loved music. They paid attention to segues, uh, how one song went into the other song. They would do sets of music that that felt good together. So, uh, yeah, in 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 the 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 mid mid to latter part of the seventies. Radio stations, commercial radio stations that really influenced me were WPLR out of New Haven, Connecticut, and WHCN out of Hartford, Connecticut, and also WPKN, which was a non-commercial station at University of Bridgeport, Connecticut. They used to listen to that all the time. And the beautiful, again, let me reiterate that the DJs, used, even on the commercial radio stations, would program their own shows. And they really knew music, and they loved music. And that, to me, is such an important part of life, is just to love what you do. Sure. Uh, and, and, and especially when it comes to music. So uh, it was great to listen to those, those DJs. And... Uh, I learned so much about music listening, listening to them and WPKN, uh, the non-commercial station, in particular, they played all kinds of stuff that that was even more obscure than what the uh, what the FM what the commercial FM stations were playing and and everything they were playing was good to me, jazz, blues, funk, R&B, soul music, uh, country, bluegrass music. It's all good to me. Uh, I mentioned earlier about you know there being blues festivals and and bluegrass festivals in the seventies, but there are also great jazz festivals. Newport, I went numerous times, and uh, so anyway, getting back to WPKN, I listened to that religiously, and the DJs would create a mood. Their sets would create a mood so that you would 
almost not even be aware of when one song would end and another song began. It was just, it was like a flow of music. They really, they were very creative, both in their knowledge of the music and how songs flowed together. So when I went to the University of New Hampshire in 1980, I immediately wanted to become part of the radio station there. Cool. And I would... Uh, two minutes? Okay, it's the brand new technology of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I would do my shows and I would use WPKN's for, you know style of creating a mood uh, on my show you know, after that. And, and it's it very cool. And back then, of course, we only had LPs. So there was an art to mixing records and, and, uh, and uh, there's, you know, the cold endings with a cold beginning and a, a fade out melted into a fade in. And it's a lot of different creative Albums, things that yeah, you could do sure. uh, as a DJ. And I like to, I like to create a mood. And I did all kinds of shows, uh, primarily did a blues show, but I also did uh, jazz shows and rock shows uh, uh, so, uh, I didn't and know then, that. And then, that's cool. Then being at that station, they had about fifty, fifty thousand record library. So, I just spent every, as many days as I could. DJ Jake. Just, oh my goodness! I mean, as a music lover, this is what we love to do: is hey man, listen to this, listen or listen to that, right? To a friend. But as a DJ, yeah, you could do that for fifty thousand. Of your friends, or, sure. however, or however many people listen. All right, well, let's uh, continue on the next segment and talk about getting in the mood getting about the mood. music. We were just talking about the the radio that influenced me, Joel. Uh, but I, I also want to talk about the, the the live music that I was exposed to as well. Uh, as I mentioned, I, I was able to go to a lot of bluegrass festivals. Uh, blues festivals and jazz festivals back in the 70s and uh, fortunately it was, it was it was I'm trying not to look through at it through too much ro of rose-colored glasses to to uh, romanticize the 70s but in retrospect it was a very enjoyable era uh, for many reasons I mean it was just it was very relaxed you know they talk about the laid-back 70s it was pretty laid-back I mean there were it seemed like there were fewer social rules uh and one of them was when i was 14 and 15 i was going to bars and nightclubs yeah. and getting in you know uh and if i ever did get i rarely got carded if i ever did get carded i used my birth certificate that a friend of mine sold me for five dollars that was stolen from the waterford connecticut city hall he stole like a stack of birth certificates and that's we, funny they were stamped and, and we uh and we uh, forged the birth certificate. So I was never not able to get into a club because of my age. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a tall person, you know, 5'5", five, five, and I, I might have been 5'4 back then, you know. Uh, but still, I was, you know, it was just laid back back then, you know. So anyway, so I was, I was able to go out and see as much. I mean, beer was $50 a bottle back then. $50, I mean, not $50, I'm sorry, <laughs> 50 cents, you know, 50, it's $50 a bottle now down here in South Florida, but, um, so, you know, so everything was, 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 was livable back then, and, and uh, uh, I, was, I used to go out and see as much music as possible, and I'll, I'll tell you, uh, before I go any further, why I started playing harmonica was, 
when I was in high school, a friend of mine was telling me about this band called Sugar Ray and the Blue Tones. Oh, well, actually, sure. it wasn't. What well, it's Sugar Ray and the Blue Tones now, but back then, uh, it was a. He had a band called Arm and Hammer Blues Band. Arm and Hammer Blues Band, and uh, they were playing at my local mall, the New London Mall. So I went out to see him, and and I was I was knocked out. He was probably about nineteen, and I was probably about wow. fifty. Yeah, and, and and they were they were spectacular. I mean, I've never. He must have. The first time he put the harmonica to his mouth, he must have been brilliant because after playing for four years, their band was spectacular. So uh, I went to see them and I was knocked out. The next day I went to Caruso's Music Store in Bank Street, New London, Connecticut, and bought a Honda Marine band for $5. And they're considerably more today. Uh, so anyway, How much are they now? I just paid $46, and that was after trying to talk the guy down a few dollars. $46 for one harmonica. For one harmonica. No, I, think I think their retail price is like 62 or 63 How often do you go uh, through harmonicas? Uh, more often than I'd like. You know, I've, I've, I do have a connection oh to buy them cheaper, but I've got to buy a, a, few, a few at a time, and I do know a couple of people who can work on them and maybe repair some of my blown sure. out harmonicas. But anyway... Uh, uh, so went out to see Sugar Ray, blown away. Went out and bought a harmonica. And I figured I had been listening to blues for about a year or so. I had two eight tracks: Muddy Waters live at Mr. Kelly's, and another live Holland Wolf CD. And I'd listen to them every day, all day long. And I figured, hey, I've been listening to to the stuff for a long time. I should be able to play the harmonica no problem. Because I was never a good student, so. I didn't want to pick up the guitar or saxophone or piano. I figured a harmonica would be a piece of cake, right? Well, out of the box... Very hard, man. Yeah, it's 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 easy to play poorly, but right. very challenging to play well. And, you know, I'm still working on it, so... It's not easy to play uh, at all. It's, I cannot... Well, it's it's the same with, with just about anything. When you first pick it up, it's it makes no sense. No. So, just like any instrument, it takes you a long time. Uh, to work on it. Uh, so anyway, the next day I went out and bought a harmonica, and and I, the key to being a musician, I guess, is not being discouraged. One of the keys, sure. I guess. So I never let that. Uh, you know, I was horrendous. You know, for how many decades? You know, the last Thursday, I think I started getting the hang of it. You know, but uh, anyway, and I'd, I'd go see Sugar Ray and his band play all the time. And I guess with time's up, and we'll pick this up in a second. Okay, segment number three. Uh, Joel's inaugural podcast, Peace, Love, and Happiness, or Hot Sauce, whatever it is. Uh, anyway, so I was talking about uh, live music that influenced me in the 70s. I'd go out to nightclubs or whatever, festivals, and I'd go see Sugar Ray and the Blue Toe, or the Arm & Hammer Blues Band, which eventually became Sugar Ray and the Blues Song. But his playing was just immaculate all the time. You know, never made a mistake. But they're... The, one, I guess one of the one of the points I want to make is that in the seventies, fortunately, where I lived, New London, Connecticut, was on Route ninety five, between halfway between New York City and Boston. So, and in the seventies, 
all kinds of great blues bands would come to New England. It was part of a great tour. You know, you'd hit, you'd go up the East Coast, and you'd hit New York, and you'd hit New Haven, and you'd hit Hartford, you'd hit New London, maybe, or or Westerly, Rhode Island, or Providence, Rhode Island. Go up to Boston, and then Portland, Maine. So fortunately, New London was right in the middle. I'd have to drive sometimes, but sometimes great bands would come to the town, and bands like Sugar Ray and the Blue Tones, Johnny Nicholas, Guitar Johnny, and the Rhythm Rockers, and a lot of these local bands would bring in Chicago blues. Man, like like Big Walter Horton, Johnny Shines, Roosevelt Sykes, uh, Albert Collins, uh, Jimmy Johnson, all kinds of great great blues guys came through in the seventies, and 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 I I tried not to miss anything, you know, because I just sure. it, it, it's such a great age I think where everything is blowing your mind, you know, and uh, uh, so. It, it, it was a great uh, basis for me to, to, to have the, that opportunity to see these great musicians. And then, uh, you know, we, you know, eventually we had, we'd have to drive to, you know, New Haven Coliseum or, or, or Hartford uh, Civic Center or Providence Civic Center, whatever, to see big concerts. My first concert was 1973 or 74, Jay Giles Band. Golden Earring, Radar Love, wow. and Orleans Dance with Me. You know, so that was and the Jay Giles, huge Jay Giles fan. You know, so that was that was my first uh, concert. But anyway, uh, there was a great music scene, and uh, there was not drunk driving laws, which kept people out of clubs. So clubs were doing really good business, and uh, back in the seventies. Clubs would hire bands for three, four, five, six-day runs, you know, and uh, people would go out to see music all the time. So it was I'm very fortunate to grow up in that area, era and see see all that great music, and it, it had a huge influence on me. Awesome. Yeah. Um, who is your favorite harp player besides Sugar Ray? Well, Sugar Ray, you know, he he distilled a lot of my favorite harmonica still players. Still talking to him, or you? My 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 number one. Favorite probably is is Big Walter Horton, but that doesn't diminish uh, my my uh, joy or, or enjoyment of all the other guys. You know, James Cotton, Paul Butterfield. Paul Butterfield had a bit. You know, when I, my sister gave me uh, four Paul Butterfield albums when I was in my mid-teens, and, and again that just blew me away. And uh, so Butterfield had a very big influence on me. Uh, Magic Dick from uh, Jay Gosman had a big right. influence, and then James Cotton. I, I got a chance to see him, him and his band in the mid '70s and, and later on in the '80s and '90s. But in the '70s, man, he was so dynamic, and I loved everything he did. And that's sort of like the cornerstone for kind of what I'm trying to do with my band. The, the you know the old school blues, but some funk too. And you you and, are an excellent showman. Oh, thank and you. And an excellent harmonica. I I think I really developed my my showman thing when when I was living in New Orleans. I lived in New Orleans from 1990 to 2005 when Hurricane Katrina hit. But in my early years, I spent on, on Bourbon Street. And and uh, I started out as a sideman in different bands on Bourbon Street. And then I was able to book gigs under my own name. But I, I uh, was able to see what it, it took to play on Bourbon Street, at least in those days. And uh, you had to go out and we had to go out and reach the people. You had to go out and grab them, or else there's no cover charge in any of these bars, and people would leave and go. If you weren't yeah. grabbing them, they'd go to the next bar. Austin's you like know? that. So too. right, so you had to develop something to 
to grab these people. And so I think I think that a lot of my influence of being a showman uh, came from that you know, time. Where are we? Talking about New Orleans and your influences. Okay, let me dial back just a little bit. I'm trying to go as as uh, chronologically as possible, but I will be jumping around because you know the ADD is kicking in. But um, so uh, in the 80s, I moved to New Hampshire, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, to go to college at uh, University of New Hampshire for a few years, and uh, I, I was able to fall in with uh, some musicians and. Uh, they were doing like singer-songwriter stuff, uh, heavily influenced. You know, this is 1980, so uh, heavily influenced by the music from the 70s. Uh, and they they invited me to play harmonica with them. At this point, I had only been playing harmonica for about five years. Pardon me. Yeah. And uh, uh, they were called the I can't remember what it was called. <laughs> they were called the I can't remember what it was called, but. Uh, uh, eventually, they added a, a bass and a drum, and one of the guys dropped out. We became White Lies, and it was sort of a, nice. I don't know, country folk rock, but I started little by little adding more more and more blues into the uh, into the mix. So it, it became a little bit more of a harder edge, not harder edge, but it was it was kind of rocking. And we were we were huge in one bar in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, or maybe two bars. But anyway, it was it was a great experience. And then I was able to meet a gentleman named T.J. Wheeler, who's an amazing human being, social activist, uh, musical, uh, jazz, blues, musical advocate. And, and he, he kind of took me under his wing as a... Uh, as my musical, one of my musical mentors, and he really taught me a lot about music and about how to run a band and, and uh, uh, you know how to get along in the music industry and stuff like that. And and uh, but he, he uh, was a great influence on me, especially very very much so musically, but also uh, otherwise as well. Uh, so we used to hang out with him and jam with him. And, uh, and meanwhile, I was also playing with doing some like bluegrass music I, I, I fell into a band called homeless bob and the living room gypsies and we did jug wow, band. that's a cool name yeah it was jug band music because uh bob halperin the guitar player he was virtually homeless and not you know not down and out but he was like couch surfing on friends houses and uh that's why he came up with the name homeless bob and the living room gypsies and we were playing <laughs> it was all acoustic uh Jug band music, which I had never heard before, so uh, he 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 taught me a lot about music. I learned a lot. It's just it's just wonderful to have these people in your life that uh -huh. sure. that that turn you on to music, and I'm yeah. still open to it. I you know Steve, Laudacino who's in my band now. He's turning me on to music that that I've never heard before, and you know virtually he's been listening to a lot of surf lately. Surf, but he's also he's into all kinds of stuff. Up. Heavy, I mean, stuff where the guys are singing and they sound like monsters. Guar? Stuff like that. I don't know. They look like monsters, but they... they that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. But, you know, like 3 o'clock in the morning when we're leaving a gig and we're going to another gig, I'm usually in the back, you know, trying to rest. And these guys are listening to that stuff full blast. And, you know, I'm open to it. I want to hear it, you know. And... and uh, the rock and roll, uh, the punk music, or, or, or 
it, it, you know, he turned me on to Rage Against the Machine, which is, that's oldies, really. To me, it's like brand new music. You know? That's but, messed up, isn't it? It is. That's it's crazy. Nir Nirvana know? is on an oldie. Yeah, to me, now. Nirvana is old. Is is brand new. I mean, I'm it's... trying to catch up with it. You know, but no, I'm I'm, I'm open to as much as I possibly uh, can. I try try and keep an open ear, and uh, you know, be influenced or 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 just be open to all different kinds of music. And it looks like the pressure of this segment is weighing too heavily. I can't continue. Hey, what's happening? This is Rock and Jake. We're trying to fit everything in into five-minute segments, so I'll do the best I can here. So I'm moving, uh, moving along on my musical development chronological timeline. Let's move to like 1985-ish, 86. And uh, at this point, the, the Fabulous Thunderbirds had been out for a while. Now, also growing up in the 70s, I had... There was a band called Roomful of Blues that used to play every Sunday night at a bar, uh, nightclub in Westerly, Rhode Island, about 20 minutes from my house. Uh, they play there every Sunday, and I was you know, heavily influenced by them as well. And I had been listening to them since the mid to late 70s. And then, uh, you know, Fabulous Thunderbirds come out, and they just blew the doors off the entire sure. blues scene, not just for me, but worldwide. I mean I don't yeah, think there's I don't think there's anyone who wasn't affected by by what they were doing because up to that point most blues bands were were covering uh Freddie King and Albert King and BB King and and stuff like that. And these guys opened the door to the entire Gulf Coast sound which nobody that I knew of was was really doing, you know, and I don't think anybody else was really doing out there. And these guys just Blew it, blew it wide open. Not only just their sound, but their look and their presentation was just amazing. So that had a huge effect on me. And I became uh, friendly with a uh, guitar player and, and, and some musicians. And and we decided I, I, it was time I wanted to form my own band. It's my first band called Rockin' Jake and the Roller Coasters. Look, didn't you have a T-shirt or something? There's a T-shirt on the internet. There's a photograph on the internet, uh, and I don't know who put this up on the internet or even who took the photo. But there's a picture of Wayne Bennett. Who? Wow! Look, look up Wayne Bennett. He's no, wearing, I know he's he wearing my T-shirt, Rocket Jake and the Roller Coaster T-shirt, and he's got his arm around Stevie Ray Vaughan. Photo that was taken in the late 80s. No yeah, way! It's unbelievable. So it was a photo taken in the late 80s uh, at the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. And uh, I mean, knowing Wayne, getting to know Wayne Bennett, that's a whole other phenomenal experience. I didn't know and, that. Yeah, yeah. So if you, if you, I, I have it on my Instagram page if you want to check that photo. It's a pretty cool photo. All right. So anyway, we... we, we the, my guitar player, Craig Rusky, very, very knowledgeable about blues. I mean, really obscure, obscure stuff. And I, I learned a lot of, about mu blues and, and, and music from him. And uh, he pretty, I mean, there were a few things that I brought in, but he pretty much helped develop the repertoire. And uh, so that, that was pretty cool. Like I said, it was my first band. And then uh, near the end of the 80s, uh 
I, I hired a guitar player, I mean a singer named Brian Templeton, who had never been in a band before, and he 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 was a you know he's saying he came up and auditioned at a blues jam that we were doing. He sang one song and it was like boom done, you're hired. He was spectacular, and he he went on to uh, form a band to call the uh, the Radio Kings, and uh, sure he. He was hired by James Cotton to sing for him for a little while when James wasn't singing anymore. So he's a he's a spectacular talent. He's up there in New Hampshire now. So anyway, we did we did that thing. Uh, another important uh, point of my life was when I met. Yes, there it is. Uh, when I met Maria Moldauer. And this was on a... Very cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny how things happen. If you just stay out there, things might happen, you know, to you. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But uh, we were doing a gig in... Uh-oh, the time. The time is is winding down, so we'll have to do that in the next segment. The Maria Moldauer meeting. Are we going to talk about Maria Moldar here? Yeah, the meeting. Okay, so this was... Uh, this was probably in '89, and 1989, and, and uh, we were booked at a club in Keene, New Hampshire. And my drummer at the time, Mark Butterfield, may he rest in peace. We called him the the Mack Truck of the Blues. He was he used to play with uh, uh, Luther guitar, Jimmy Johnson, just a spectacular drummer. Anyway. Uh, I show up to the club and he comes out, he was already there, and, and he comes out and said, Jake, we got a problem, we're double booked with, uh, I got here and, and Maria Moldauer is booked to play here tonight. Well, so after a brief conversation with the club owner, who was very, very cool, uh, he decided that she would do her show and then we would perform after her. So, but, and we both got paid, and that's a, that's a beautiful way of handling the situation. So. Anyway, she, uh, at this time, this was 1989, she was traveling as a, as a duo, just with a piano player, John R. Burr, great piano player. And so she did her show, and then we came on and, and played after her. She stayed for our whole set. She actually came up and jammed with us on a few songs. And, uh, you know, as I usually do, I gave her a little schmooze afterwards and gave her a business card and and uh, thought nothing of it. And, Left it at that. Six months later, I come home from a gig, and uh, I was listening to my answering machine, which is a quaint notion, an answering machine with a little cassette, you know. Yeah. And uh, she said, the message was, Rocket Jake, I'm doing a tour of the East Coast in a few months. Would you, I can't afford to bring my band out there. Would you like to be my backup band? I go, oh my gosh, because I was a huge fan of hers in the 70s and beyond, you know, I'm a huge fan. She was an icon to me, you know. So I called her back the next day, I said, absolutely, I'd love to do it. So uh, fast forwarding, uh, we ended up doing that tour and it was a spectacular experience, uh, playing clubs that I would never normally get my band into and uh, some festivals that, that I would never be on. So we were just playing like kind of like the local music scene we just played the local music scene, and uh, so it was a great experience. And and, and one of the uh, gigs we did was at the Bearsville Theater in Bearsville, New York, right next to Woodstock, or it's in Woodstock somewhere, Woodstock, New York. And uh, at our performance, the, the homespun tapes videotaped the performance, 
and it, I probably could still get it from her, from the Homespun Tapes website. It's her vocal uh, instruct vocal inst Maria Moldauer vocal instruction tape, and mm. you can see my band at that time performing. So that was a great experience. And then uh, about six months later, I moved to New Orleans in in, uh, in 1990, October of 1990. And uh, my girlfriend at the time and I moved down there. We packed up my little blue van with everything we had, everything we had, and moved down to New Orleans. And, and about a month later, Maria called me and asked me if I'd like to perform with her at a iconic nightclub there called Snug Harbor. And so that was, that was I think, my first gig in New Orleans and uh, to perform with her. And she had like the best players, you know, Herman Ernest uh, on drums, Chris Severin on bass, David Torkinowski on piano, and Christy Clements on guitar. Just the A list of, of players in New Orleans. And what a thrill and opportunity it was to perform with these guys at this club and with Maria. I mean, it was just an amazing experience. So. Uh, then she would call me at, uh, when she'd come to New Orleans, and then you know I put. I mean, I one of my dreams was always to go on the road. You know, it's just a dream of mine. I just looked. It looked so romantic to me as a musician to be on the road. I, of course, I didn't know what the nuts and bolts involved with being on the road were. Right. The time I've come to realize it can be a nightmare at times, not so much a dream. But no. Uh, um, <clears throat> So I was always putting a bug in her ear, Maria, you know, if you need anybody on the road. So she called me out of the blue one in 1992, asked me if I wanted to be her tour manager. And I'd also be able to... Very cool. Yeah, and I'd also be able to tour with her, I mean, perform with her on the gig. So I, I did that, and it was, man, what a great experience that was. Yeah. Back to Maria Moldar. Yes. So uh, I accepted her offer to be her tour manager in 1992 and uh, what an amazing amazing experience uh, in so many different levels one was one of the great experiences was learning how to be a tour manager and deal with uh, venue owners and promoters and festivals how to put a, a an itinerary together now back then one of my jobs was to uh, put together the itinerary, one page per day. And the best thing we had was a, a, uh, a word processor, not even a computer back then, you know, there was no internet, there was no cell phones, you know, so. Uh, uh, not, only, not only was that a great experience doing that, and it taught me, you know, it was an invaluable experience for leading my own band on the road, you know, but uh, also, just hanging out with her and the stories. My goodness, she's she's been the you know in, in the folk music scene in Greenwich Village in the '60s, uh, Woodstock scene in the '70s, San Francisco. Uh, just she was in so many scenes and, and and met so many amazing rock musicians and blues musicians uh, through the course of her her career. To, to you know to hear the stories she had stories about Butterfield where Paul Butterfield were just amazing and so that was a great experience but also to be in in the RV with with uh, the, her her sidemen you know guys like Marty Greb and, and Larry Fulcher and John Woodhead Chris Burns uh, and, and, and and numerous other John R Burr I mean these guys had 
De uh, Jimmy Sanchez, uh, decades of amazing uh, musical experience, and just to be around those guys who were just top flight musicians, and also to hear their stories were uh, what an experience that was, and, and to travel nationally and, and going to uh, you know major showcase rooms and festivals. Uh, it was just an amazing, amazing experience. And to be on the road, and as a tour manager, you're the first guy up in the morning and the last guy to go to sleep at night, you know? So uh, I learned about sleep deprivation at, at an early age, and it still goes on to this day when I go on the road, of course, But because uh, I'm the tour manager for my band, you know? So, but, but back then, we had no cell phones, no, no internet. So to get directions from a club, to get directions from a hotel. Uh, <laughs> incredibly frustrating and difficult. We had no cell phones, so we'd have to pull over and find a pay phone somewhere, and I'd have to call the club with the, the phone card and, and, and get directions. And, and of phone course, it's, 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 in the, it's, right. in, it's in the middle of, of their, <laughs> their dinner, and there's noise in the background, and you're trying to get yeah. directions, and they don't know. Oh my God! Incredibly difficult. And then, in, in, in the you know, she she had a uh, a less than stellar RV at the time, and uh, you know, three times a week I'd have to be up at six, seven o'clock in the morning with the yellow pages looking up uh, repair places uh, to get the RV fixed or whatever. You just when you thought we fixed everything on the RV, something that you didn't know about went wrong. So, uh, and then we'd have to be on the road by eleven. You know, or twelve. So I, you know, and one of the biggest things I learned from being a tour manager is, you know, my goal was to get Maria the things that she wanted, both at a venue and a hotel. And uh, I would hear the term "that's impossible" countless numbers of times. Oh. And what I learned is "that's impossible" means I don't either want to do what you want me to do or uh, I, I don't have the desire to do what you want, whatever. And 80% and of the time, somebody told me that that's impossible. I was able to get what I wanted from, from whoever was the venue or the sound man or the, the hotel. So, so what was your answer to that? What's that? What was your answer to that? My answer to that was, well, let's look at how we can make it happen. How can we make it happen? And I, I would, you know, fortunately, I was blessed with uh, in somewhat of an intelligence and I was able to look at different opportunities. Let's make this angle so we'd eventually, okay. So uh, my takeaway from that experience was how to get what you want from virtually anybody really is, is you know, is never to take that's impossible uh, as a word. It's always like, how can we make it happen? So that's 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 my philosophy now is how can we make this happen, uh, and so I'm very grateful for Maria to Maria Moldauer for that experience. She's an amazing person, an amazing artist, and, and I, I I just have it was one of the best experiences of my life. So that brings me to. Do you still talk to her? What's that? Do you still talk to her? Rarely, rarely. I mean, when she comes comes to town for a show, we'll, we'll, we'll hook up or something like that, you know, for a few minutes. Hook up? <laughs> uh, in a strictly platonic and professional manner.
Okay, so that, that tour manager experience, like I say, was extremely helpful to me. And, and uh, yeah, so that, that Maria Moldauer experience was, was absolutely amazing. And, and it, it, it helped me to this day. Uh, the skills that I learned being a tour manager, and uh, I was fortunate. A uh, good friend of mine, Jeffrey Clements, uh, this was in '94, uh, got a gig with a young fella named G Love and Special Sauce. And when they were first starting out, and, and uh, I went to see them perform somewhere, and uh, they were like, "Oh man, we need a tour." This is they had a shitty, shitty. Uh, utility van, no windows, no chairs, no seats in it. They had a couple of beanbag chairs in the back, no air conditioning, no no heat. Uh, they had just gotten signed to Sony Records, and and the, we needed a tour manager. So uh, my friend Jeff hooked it up so that I would be the tour manager. That that lasted for about a month, uh, but it was a great experience, uh, and I was. G would G Love would would invite me up to play harmonica, do a, a dueling harmonica with him every night, and uh, so that, that was a great experience because they were playing some pretty major shows. You know, we went to England for a week, performed on on uh, MTV, and uh, way cool. So, yeah, some major major showcase clubs over there. So that was that was a great. It was brief, but a very great experience. And uh, again, this is the '90s. I'm living in New Orleans. Let's go to the mid '90s, and I'm. I'm I'm hiring. I, I I wasn't confident in my vocals at all at the time, and uh, I was I was I was I was effective as a salesman because uh, I had sales background uh, for for from a couple jobs that I had. But uh, oh, let me let me also backtrack a little bit. 1992, my last job I had was in 1992 as a marketing director for the short-lived Charlie B's nightclub in New Orleans. And at the time, my friend that I mentioned about earlier, T.J. Wheeler, uh, we became friendly with some musicians from Finland, and uh, they invited us to to come over to Finland for a month and perform with them. So T.J. and I went over there, I left my job, and uh, that was the last time I had a day job. And, uh, and that turned into like we went over there about five or six more times, and, and it was a great experience doing that. And uh, and then I like I, w I would hire local New Orleans musicians to usually guitar players who sang, uh, guys like Mem Shannon and Brent Anderson, Coco Robichaux, Kenny Holiday. Uh, I'm sure there were others. Uh, and then. And I would call it the Rock and Jake Blues Band, and we would, I would, I would be pretty much at the mercy of each guitar player's repertoire. And then I was able to get a gig on Bourbon Street, and uh, I decided in '95, I think it was, to okay, I'm, I'm tired of, of, not tired of, but I, I wanted to move on and create original music. So I decided to change the name from the Rock and Jake Blues Band to the Rock and Jake Band, and and uh, I hired a, a fellow named uh, Chip Wilson, and the bass player was uh, Angelo Nocentelli, Leo Nocentelli's younger brother, and the drummer was Bobby Wilson, who played was played with Fats Domino. So it looks like the time is running out, and we'll continue the story right after this. Okay, so we're talking about the the development of the Rock and Jake Band. So we were doing uh, we we were doing uh, gigs as the Rock and Jake Band. We were, we were playing other stuff that I loved 
other music that I love besides the blues, like a lot of the New Orleans sounds, some Zydeco, some funk, New Orleans funk, even some brass band music. And then uh, I talked a local record label into doing a record with us. The label's called Rabidash Records, and that's that's where my first uh, record is on. Is on. It's called Let's Go Get Em on Rabidash. And, and uh, uh, he goes, you have original music? I said, sure, yeah. And uh, so when he agreed to do the record with us, I went back to my band and said, dudes, we got to write some music. He wants some original music. I did not have any original music. So, wow. Yeah, so... Chip was a very good songwriter, and uh, and I actually came up with my first song called "Attracted to the Light," and that record features Maria Muldaur, Tommy Ridgely, who was a great rhythm and blues artist in the '50s, in the '60s, in New Orleans, and you know up till that day, uh, Tommy Ridgely, Eddie Bow, another great New Orleans rhythm and blues icon, uh, Oliver Morgan. Uh, of Who Shot the La La fame. George Porter's on the record, plays bass. Uh, what? Anders Osborne. Uh, what? Uh, his girlfriend at the time, Teresa Anderson. Yeah, it was, it, it was an interesting record. So, wow. we did that. I know we got to wrap it up, so I'll try and be... Uh, and then I hooked up with a, a booking agent in 97, which I started going on the road. And uh, I put on over, way over a million miles just in the United States. So I did, did a lot of touring heavily, and, and gas was was quite reasonable back then, and it was, it was feasible, right. you know, from from 97 through 2007 or, right. or 2010. Gas was fairly reasonable, so you know, we just we just be rolling all the time, you know. And it was great, great experience. It was living my dream, even though I've got a lot of difficult stories, to say the least, uh, about being on the road. Which any musician putting that kind of mileage or that kind of time on the road is going to have tough stories, you know. I got quite a few of them, but uh, no time for it here. But anyway, so uh, and then uh, still in New Orleans at the time. Fast forward 2005, Hurricane Katrina. My, I was married at the time, and uh, my wife and I, we got displaced. And uh, wow. we stayed in uh, Fort Worth, Texas at her aunt's house for a few months and then moved to St. Louis in 2000, January 2006, where I lived till 2012, uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And then uh, her and I moved to Florida to take care of my, my mom who's still around to this day, rocking mom. And she's still rocking at She 94. seems pretty awesome. She is quite How old awesome. is she? 94. Wow. She doesn't like me to mention that, but she's she's doing great. So Wow. Anyway, uh, what else do you have for me? Do you have any regrets, Jake? Uh, you know, how can you regret? I mean, in retrospect, there's always things that you'll do. You would have done better. But you really no time to have regrets. I mean, what can you do? You can't, there's nothing you can do about it. So I, I try not to think in terms of regrets at all. Just keep on rolling and do the best I can with what I got. You know? Tell me about your hot sauce. Uh, Rock and Jake, Bad Mouth Hot Sauce. Uh, it's, uh, it's made in New Orleans, uh, New Orleans Hot Sauce Company. And it's, it's, it's really take, I, I've been doing it for probably about 15 years, and a uh, gentleman, John Kensler, who owns the company, I met him at a gig in uh, New Orleans at Margarita, the old Margaritaville at the time, and, and uh, it's funny because I had a girlfriend at the time whose father owned a hot sauce company. We were just about to come out with a Rock and Jake hot sauce, and then her and I split up, and I was like, 
and then I met this guy John Kensla at the bar uh, a couple weeks later, and he said he owned a hot sauce company. I go, well, would you ever consider doing a private label? And and it's just so coincidental that that worked out, you know. And he came up with this blend. It's a unique blend for his company. He has about thirty different hot sauces, but he came up with a unique blend for me and. Uh, People just love it. They go nuts over it. Uh, after Katrina, I didn't have it for like four years, and people were still asking me for it. So anyway, I have a few bottles left. If anyone wants one, I, you can go to I would website. love one. Joel, I would be and glad to you, give you one for Everyone very, should very, have very discounted Rock and Jake hot sauce. Yeah. All right, Jake, would you like to plug anything? Plug away. I'd like to plug in your coffee maker and get another <laughs> cup of coffee. What's going on here? No deli platter? Nothing, Joel. Come on. <laughs> All right, so yeah, well, of course I like to plug it in. That's what we do. Uh, okay, let's, let's start with, I guess, with the social media. Well, the website is rockinjake.com. Uh, Instagram, I'm jake.rockin. Uh, Twitter is at rockinjake. I think that's about all I'm into right now. You know what I mean? For God's sakes, if they invent another social media, Joel, I'm going to scream. Uh, you got a Snapchat? Snapchat, what the hell? Jeez, no. I'm trying to keep up here, man. I'm a musician, too, you know? Where are you playing next? Uh, let's see. I don't know. Oh, Daniel Beach Bar and Grill. I, I, I usually stay pretty local in Florida in the uh, what is known as the cooler months throughout the United States, but it's quite pleasant down here. So uh, we'll be in, in Florida, you know, till at least May, uh, and all the dates are up on Rockin'. Well, I, I usually do them uh, one month at a time on rockinjake.com. Uh, and then hopefully we'll be going on the road this summer. No, nothing specific yet, but um, that all of that information will be out there. So, uh, if you want to be on my mailing list, you can send me an email at rockandjake at rockandjake dot com. Uh, you go to my website. You can send me an email from that. Uh, anyway, when's, when's a new CD coming out? Me. Well, we, I don't know when it's going to come out, but we are working on it now with my current band, which I. Uh, let me just say, I'm probably happier with my band than I've been in I don't know how long. These guys are amazing musicians. Uh, we're all kind of on the same page. Uh, great human beings. Uh, the guitar player is Steve Laudacina. Right. Bass player is Charles Gasper. Wonderful. And the drummer is Rich Conklin. And, Wonderful. Uh, they're just, it's just an absolute pleasure to work with. So like I say, this is the best band I've had in a long time. And so I decided... Let me make the record with this band because I think we've had a nice little chemistry going. Is it um, uh, all originals? How many songs? No, there'll be there? there'll be some covers. There'll be it'll be mostly originals. Uh, nice, and, good. And it's 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 I'm doing a really low tech. Uh, Steve, Lotusina, he's he's recording a uh, a surf uh, garage rock type record, and he played me some of. Uh, his rough mixes and I thought it sounded fantastic and so he was recording it at uh, Chris Pete who's a drummer for JP Soares he's recording at a Chris Pete's house it's totally low tech half inch tape and it's not even really a studio he's just got some equipment no computer you know and uh, I really like the way it sounds I said let's do a let's do a blues record you know straight up blues record so uh, we've got some some originals in the genre and uh and some covers, and, it's just, and uh, I'm just looking forward to that getting out. But as to when it'll come out, I don't really have a timeline. I want it, you know. I just want to be happy with it by the time I let it go. So uh, we're working on it now, and uh, I will definitely let you know. And maybe by then we can do another podcast. 
correctly. Thanks for coming out today, buddy. Joel, thank you so much, Boom. and thank good luck on your podcast. It's a great idea. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to spread the word. Let's give it up for Rock and Jake. Have yeah. give yourself a nice round. Give it up for Joel DeSilva doing his thing, baby. See you guys next time on Peace, Love, and Hot Sauce.